Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. As you're turning there, I remember when I was in, uh, after basic training, I went to Texas, uh, technical school in Texas. And one of my instructors one day during lunch break was reading a book. And uh, the title of the book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I ended up checking out the book because I was like, why is this guy reading this book? And I mean, it's okay. It's about this guy. He had two, two fathers. One was his regular dad. One was his stepfather and his one of the dads had very good business practices and, and had uh, uh, very good you know, financial planning. The other dad didn't. And so he's talking about going back and forth between these two dads. He'd spend one week in here, learn about business practice, and then one week here and learn about uh, a wastefulness. Anyway, the name of the book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Well, my sermon title tonight is Rich Dad, More Dad. And we're going to see what that means here in a moment. Will we stand as we read, starting in Romans 5? Verse 12, and I'm going to read Romans 5, 12, and then also 18, because the verses in the middle are actually a parentheses, and we're going to get to all those in future weeks, but for right now, I'm going to focus on the context for 12, and then move to verse 18. It says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus, death spread to all men... Because all sinned. Now we're going to go to 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. May God bless the reading of his word. Be seated in the house of God today. As we're talking about rich dead more dead. And we see in Romans 5.12 a very important theological concept which has actually divided denominations throughout history. And that is the concept of original sin. Matter of fact, we're Baptists today because of the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation had much to do with the concept of original sin. And we're going to examine this concept in the context of Romans 5.12. But what we're going to see, we're going to see that through Adam, we become responsible for sin in three particular ways. That even though Adam was in the garden and Adam sinned, we become responsible for sin, right? The first way that happens is that we are paternally responsible for sin. Paternally means fatherly. Because of Adam, we are paternally responsible responsible for sin through Adam. He is our spiritual father in the spiritual lineage of sin. And it says in Romans 5:12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, sin entered through one man our spiritual father. In order to understand tonight the function of Adam's role in sin, we must also understand the function of Christ's role in our salvation. Now, here's an important thing. Many, many times we're going to talk about Christ's role in salvation. But this is actually a reverse picture of Adam's role in sin. If we find those two equalities, we will see that our natures flow from their actions. So we can also state the opposite way. In order to understand the function of Christ in the role of salvation... We must also understand the function of Adam in the role of sin. So what's going to happen is many people's theology is going to fall apart 
either A, they don't understand what Christ did, or B, they don't understand what Adam did. Those are two things that's going to hinge on heresy. And heresy is false theology. Let me tell you, folks, it's rampant today. Matter of fact, I can list several names right now. You go to Lifeway Christian Bookstore, and I'd rather you buy them books and throw them in the garbage truck than someone else get a hold of them because there's so much theology today that is built on self and that's built on uh, what you can do instead of what Christ has done. The foundation of the gospel is what Christ has done. Once we understand what Christ has done, then we'll understand what we can do. But it's never going to work the other way around. You see, we understand the function of Christ being relevant to the function of Adam. I want you to look for a moment down at verse 14. And it goes on to describe that their death reigned from Adam to Moses. And then it says at the end of 14... Uh, about Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Adam was a type of the one to come. So that means he's a type of Christ. This does not mean he is a uh, um, manifestation of Christ. That's not what it means. It means he is a picture or a shadow of what Jesus will be. Adam is a shadow of Christ because he is considered the first man... In relation to God. Adam is the first man in relation to God. He's the representative man in relation to obedience. And the causal man in reference to the fall. So all these things that Adam did. Are in relation to what Christ will undo. Therefore Adam is our paternal head. Adam functions in the paternal role. And what I mean the fatherly role. By showing us who we are. Now if, if when I was five years old. I would take a picture of, of my dad when he was, you know, 1920, and I would see this picture. I'm going to see for the most part who I will be or who I am because the way my dad looked in, in high school, uh, uh, college, on and on, people see us, and I'm going to get in, in, into this in a little bit. But we will look at our father to see who we are, to see what we will be. That's the function of Adam. We see through Adam who we are, who we would be, and what our eternity would look like. We are disobedient in regards to our will. So when we see Adam was disobedient in regards to his will, we also are disobedient in regards to our will. We see that we are guilty and convicted in regards to our conscience. Adam, after he sinned, he went and hid himself behind a tree. That is the function of the conscience. That is the function of of uh, uh, the Holy Spirit and conviction is, is conviction causes us to flee from God. We, like Adam, in our nature, will flee because of sin. And then also, we would be separated from God for eternity because of our sin. So we see all through what Adam was is exactly what we are and will be. Everything Adam was, we were in regards to our relationship with God. Adam, therefore, becomes a type of Christ in relation to effect, but not in relation to nature. So, therefore, when it says Adam is a type of Christ, what, what we were affected by, mean our nature, our eternity, is the same effects that Christ will have upon our nature and our eternity. That's why he's a type of Christ, a picture. 
What does all that mean, preacher? I've been using a lot of big theological words. It means that when you look at Adam, you look at us. Anybody hot in here? Y'all a little warm? Let's bump them fans up, brother Eddie. I like taking breaks and just, you know, shooting the breeze. So what do I mean by all that? I mean, if I had a nickel for every time someone said, are you Mike Watkins, boy? I would probably have $2.35. I hear it probably once a month. Someone tells me who went to school with my dad, and (laughs) they tell me that I look like my dad. And you know what that tells me? That my dad used to be a pretty good-looking fella. (laughs) Matter of fact, he says I got his good looks because mom still has hers. You see? And literally, my mom looks like she's 36. She hasn't aged since I was nine. I look at my mom and I'm like, am I going back to the future? Right? I don't know where I'm at. But let me get back to my dad. The other day, I was getting a prescription for my allergies. And literally, I walked 10 steps to the pharmacy counter. And the lady at the pharmacy said... Are you Mike Watkins, boy? Now, at the time, I did not know if to answer yes or no. I wasn't sure how their (laughs) discussion went at the pharmacy counter. If I say yes, they might not fulfill my prescription. (laughs) But I hesitated, and eventually, eventually I said, yes, I'm Mike Watkins, boy. And she says, she didn't go to school with my dad. She says, I could tell by the way you walk. That's the first time I've ever heard that. And do you know what I walked away thinking? Man, that lady's really weird. <laughs> this lady analyzes how people walk. And then it made me self-conscious of my walk. I, I started walking goofy. I was like, how do I do that? I don't know. Do, 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 do people do that? They analyze people's gates? I don't know. But let me tell you something. Did you know... That in the pharmacy of self-help psychology, the devil has a weapon. And when you approach the counter of worldliness, the devil says to you, Are you the son of Adam? And when we say, How did you know? The devil says, I can tell by your walk. See, we reflect the nature of Adam because he is our paternal spiritual lineage. Our paternal father. You see, the thing with Adam is, it's like father, like son. In Adam was every form of malice, every bit of hate, every bit of adultery, every bit of murder, every bit of lie, every bit of evil. Because one act of obedience or disobedience towards an eternal God released Pandora's box of sinfulness. Because every sin, no matter how big or small, no matter Hitler or if it's a lie, every sin is an action of disobedience. Our spiritual father was disobedient. Therefore, we, by nature, are disobedient creatures who will disobey the law of God. Everyone still with me today? Disobedience is an action... Of idolatry. 
it exalts, sin exalts man above relationship. Sin exalts want above worship. Sin exalts, uh, exalts self above satisfaction. And every bit of sin screams, God is not enough. All sin says, God is not enough to make me happy. All sin says, God is not enough to make me pleased. All sin says is we need a little bit more. You see, Adam had everything. Adam had every bit of fruit that was pleasing. I'm talking about kiwis, bananas, mangoes, coconuts, cranberries, blueberries, strawberries. He might even have had schnozberries like Willy Wonka. I'm talking about the plethora of pleasure was in front of his ability. He could have every bit of fruit, every vegetable for his pleasure. He had everything. Man didn't have to even drive down the food line. He just walked out into the backyard, got every bit that he could ever want. Adam had no... Taxes, he had no government, amen. He had no children to disturb his peace. (laughs) He had a beautiful wife alone in paradise. But let me give you a good word. All that was not enough. Every day with Adam was heaven, every day was luxury, but he still wanted more, more, more. You see, Adam had someone came along that looked like a friend, someone who deceived him into thinking that what he had wasn't good enough, that he should not be content with his current situation. And do you know that happiness ends when you want more than what you have? It wasn't enough that he already had God because the flesh is never satisfied. It wasn't enough that he already had the garden. It wasn't enough that he already had a relationship. And what Satan says, Satan says you need more. You need to be like God. Let me tell you, friend, Adam was already like God. He was already righteous like God, never sinned. He was already holy like God. He was pure and blameless. He was already pure like God. He was already loving like God. But he still wanted more, more, more. The flesh of the first father says more, but the spirit of the last father says says enough. Jesus is enough. God is enough. The flesh says more. The spirit says enough. That's why we have rich dad and more dad. One who says, I'm already blessed in the heavenly realms with Christ, and the other one who says, you just need a little bit more. That's why the heart of Christianity is literally contentment in Christ, satisfaction in Christ. I've got a good message I'm working on. It's called, From the Lion's Den to the Platter. Because we think that the, that the pinnacle of Christianity is when God shows up in the miracle. Well, have you read in the New Testament that the miracle for the disciple uh, John the Baptist was his head was cut off and he was served on a platter before the king? 
But you know what we know in both situations? God still wins. You see, it's not just about freeing you from your, your tribulation. Sometimes it's about ending your tribulation and taking you home to glory. Either way, let me tell you, John the Baptist won. <laughs> and, and here's the problem with, with modern Christianity, uh, uh, prosperity Christianity that says God's going to bless you. He wants you to have more than what you have. But my friend, Apostle Paul says, I've learned how to do with and how to do without. The secret to life is being content in all things. Because you know what I saw when we went down to Haiti? We saw, we saw people who literally had one outfit to wear to church, but we saw a bunch of happy people. And, I, you know, they didn't have the local pharmacies, pharmacies popping out Prozac. They were happy in the Lord. That's the truth. And Americans have everything but are still discontent, still unhappy. Content with what they have. Jesus is enough. The Spirit is enough. If you're on Prozac, I apologize. You know, I know people have things that's going on. I know life gets a lot sometimes. <laughs> but they don't have it. What do they do? They figure it out somehow. Adam was our father in the sense that what he became, we are. Something can only reproduce after its kind. Elephants give birth to elephants. Cows give birth to cows. Sinners give birth to sinners. Through the actions of one, everyone became present. We are paternally responsible for sin. Secondly, we are principally responsible. As in Adam, as the principal point, the consequences flow to all of us. We see in uh, the middle part of verse 12, it says, Death spread through sin to all men. That means no longer does his nature flow to us, but also his consequence. Not only in Adam did we sin, but also in Adam did we die. The consequence of his fall affected us. We don't just bear the resemblance of Adam's nature. We also bear the consequence of him too. Though his nature was that of sin, his consequence was that of death. And this is twofold. Some will say, well, Adam didn't surely die the day he sinned. That depends on your definition of death. If death is the absence of breath, then a beautiful flower is dead. If death is the absence of the mind then all liberals are dead. If death is the absence of logic, then all trees are dead. But rather we would say that true death is the absence of a relationship with God. Therefore, that is an eternal quality. So if you are separated from an eternal God, then you are eternally dead. Death, therefore, spiritually, is an eternal quality. So Adam, once he became separated from an eternal God, was dead of an eternal nature. Now, I'm not saying that the possibility of life did not exist for Adam and for humanity. But what I am saying is the quality of his death was not a finite quality that he experienced, but an infinite quality of separation from God. It was an infinite death that he died. 
In the latter sense, Adam did die on that day because the fullness of his relationship with God was now absent. He was eternally, spiritually dead. But also physical death came into the world at this time. Did you know that someone could be dead and not dead? You say, well, how was that? How many times have you heard of someone being dead on the operating table, but the doctors brought them back to life? You see, there's dead and not dead. Because if they were dead dead, life would not be possible. But they were not dead in the point that the doctor brought them back. There are degrees of death physically. For those few minutes as their life hangs in limbo in an internal pendulum. They're not in this life, yet they're not in the other. They are in an eternal limbo until they are either dead dead or not dead. Therefore, Adam spiritually was like the man on the operating table. He was dead. He was separated from God. There was no spiritual heartbeat. There was no rising and falling of the breath in his lungs. At that point, after the garden, humanity was dead. But this does not mean that the possibility of life was no longer there. Thankfully, we weren't dead dead. You see, (laughs) for 4,000 years... Death reigned from the time of Adam till Moses. For 4,000 years, humanity lay on the operating table in spiritual limbo. And the great physician was looking at the EKG chart. And there was a flat line of righteousness for 4,000 years. My, my, my. Are y'all ready for this? But what happened is, the doctor, after 4,000 years, then took off his mask. Then he took off his doctoral robe. Then he took off his shoe coverings of holiness. He took off his headlamp of righteousness. He set aside his license of angelic worship. And he placed his holy hands onto the bloody heart of Calvary. And he started pumping life into humanity. I got to fix this right now. You see... Without God's intervention, man had no hope. Without Christ's intervention, that flat line would have stayed. And man would have been dead dead. But my friends, those pierced bloody hands were placed onto the heart of Calvary. And God started pumping. Love. 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 Love, love. And do you know a heartbeat started beating? Do you know that humanity came back to life at Calvary? The death that occurred in Adam was fixed in Christ. The train that hit the car 
of humanity that put man in the operating table dead as a doornail was fixed by the righteous arms of a loving Savior. You see, the spiritual death means that our consciousness does not have the capacity to comprehend relationship with God. Let me tell you what, folks. Your whole theology of the cross is going to rise and fall on your understanding of what Adam did. It's not just about Christ. Because until you understand Adam, you won't appreciate Christ. And modern theologians now, because they now think that Adam was a representative fable, they now think that Genesis 1 through 3 was fairy tales, are going to think that Adam is a fictitious figurehead of humanity. And if Adam is a fictitious figurehead, then there was a fictitious garden and there was a fictitious relationship with God. But my friend, if Genesis is fictitious, then how do we know that Exodus Exodus is not fictitious and Leviticus and Deuteronomy is not fictitious? The New Testament says all Scripture is inspired by God and useful for reproof, correction, and doctrine. So we have to believe that Adam was a literal human being who had a relationship with uh, with God. Because if we don't, If the work of Adam was fictitious, then the work of Jesus was only symbolic. And that's an expensive cross. That's an expensive cross with expensive blood for just a symbol. But the work of the Christ fixed what Adam did. This is how serious the work of the cross was. Because in Adam, we literally spiritually died and separated from God. That way, our understanding of what's called in theology, original sin, will determine the original cross. And if we water down the garden, we'll water down Calvary. It's precisely this doctrine of original sin which caused St. Augustine to declare a man named Pelagius a heretic. A guy named Pelagius was teaching that man had the capacity of his own free will to attain a relationship with God apart from the work of grace. Let me break this down to you. Pelagius basically said that mankind has the same ability as Adam does in the garden. Adam could accept or reject God. Therefore, we can accept or reject God. Let me tell you, friend, what can a dead person accept anything of? If Dean's laying there dead on the operating table, and I say, Dean, you want some water? I guess he's not thirsty. (laughs) This is the meaning of spiritual death incapable of comprehending Christ, incapable of seeing the light, spiritually blind, spiritually dead. Why do you think we sing hymns that the hymn writers have written for hundreds of years, open our eyes, open our ears, because without God's intervention, we are blind to the things of the gospel. Folks, If Pelagius is true, then what are the effects of the garden? What are the effects of spiritual death? 
What are the effects of the fall? If spiritual death separated us from God, then how do we have the same ability that Adam had? How do we have the same will that Adam had? How is our flesh the same as Adam if we're born into sin, as the Scripture says? What did it affect? Pelagius is basically teaching that mankind is dead on the operating table, and mankind on his own ability, with no doctor intervention, reaches out and grabs the defibrillation pallets and puts them on his own chest in his deadness and shocks his own heart with his own righteousness. That's Pelagian salvation. Pelagian salvation says that you awaken yourself to the knowledge of salvation. I don't remember reading a story of Lazarus where Jesus went knock, 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 and Lazarus said, hello, I'm coming out of the tomb. No, I remember that he says, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead man came out. It was because of Christ's call that the dead man responded. I mean, have y'all been to West uh, Cemetery and seen people popping out of the graves? Yep, it will happen one day, and it will do so because of the call of Christ. But until that, spiritually dead people stay in the tomb. (laughs) You see? If man can awaken his own consciousness to the things of God, it makes the awakening of the consciousness a work of man and not a work of the Spirit. Therefore, man. If this is the case, then the Buddhist in India who's never heard about Jesus, well, don't worry, he has his own capacity to find the gospel. If that's the case, let's no longer evangelize, Brother George. Put your tracks at home. Let's roll up uh, the books and keep them in the car because everyone has the ability to awaken themselves to salvation. But faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And therefore, repentance as conviction becomes a work of the Spirit as a result of the gospel. <laughs> Our understanding of Christ will be determined by our understanding of Adam. In Adam, we all sinned. In Adam, we all fell from God. With no ability of our own to walk back. There's no breadcrumbs on the trail, my friends. We are lost, separated from God. And without the intervention of the Spirit in our life, we don't find Christ young girl named Taylor I hope that she responded to the wooing of the spirit that's my belief because if any of us have responded to something different then we follow the work of man there's a church in the area I won't even say in the area. When they call for an invitation, they plant people in the audience who will walk forward. Preacher says, if you want to come, follow Christ, then I'm planted here. Basically, I'm planted to be a false convert. So the preacher gives the invitation, yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go. Man, 15 people come forward. Whoa, what a miracle of God! 
You know what? They're following a work of man. A man-made method. A man-made miracle. That's like Moses saying, hey guys, we're going to build a dam five miles upstream. And in about five hours, it's going to slow down. Everyone's going to say, wow, look what God did. Man-based methods do not produce repentance or salvation. Only the Spirit. This is the greatest comfort in evangelism you can have. That your job is not to make a convert. Your job is just to plant a seed. I can't make a convert, folks. I'm just a seed scatterer. How many of you put seeds in your garden and make it grow? Listen, you little mustard seed. I'm going to give you three chances. I'm going to sing one more hymn. If you don't come right now, we're going home. This is the last chance. You plant the seed. Let the harvester do the harvest. What do we preach this Sunday? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's his responsibility. It would take the work of God upon the heart of Adam because the heart of Adam was the one hiding behind the tree. And in our natural flesh, we will all hide from God. We will all hide behind the tree. But Christ didn't just come pull us around the tree. He stepped on the tree so that now we could gaze at his work, not our own work. And that his spirit would quicken us to the things of God. We are spiritually dead, not able to bring about life by ourselves. No one has the ability to put on the Pelagian paddles and bring about righteousness with no ability to see the work of cross unless the Spirit of God gives us a new heart. In this doctrine of original sin, which says that salvation is completely a work of grace, it says that humanity has no ability to resurrect itself. Humanity has no ability to bring about his own righteousness and chest shock himself into a relationship with God. No, it is literally the divine hand of God that comes upon the heart of every believer and pumps spiritual life back into us. All humanity is subject to the consequence of death before any of us ever had personally made the choice to sin. What we're going to see is that you and I are responsible for the consequences of Adam even though we weren't in the garden. But it goes on to say, for we have all sinned. So not only are we paternally responsible, but we're personally responsible because what we see in Adam is what all of us are. We all grow up as ones who separate ourselves from God, who hide behind the tree because of sin. But, next week we're going to look at the parentheses and afterwards. What we're going to see is, because one man brought about our sinfulness, also one man brought about our righteousness. 
And see, you on the ability of your own cannot change the nature from Adam. It is a work of the Spirit. And when the work of the Spirit changes your nature, and you respond with faith to Christ, the nature you become is righteousness. So what you were in Adam eternally, characteristically, in quality, you now are in Christ eternally, characteristically righteous. If he is righteous, you are righteous now. If he is holy, you are holy. If he is at peace with God, you are at peace with God because he has made your new nature. I pray that we will understand the original sin that comes from Adam so that we can look at the cross and see now the original righteousness that comes from Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask in your house that your Holy Spirit would help press this word upon our minds and our hearts tonight. Lord, we know that this is uh, some complex stuff, some deep stuff. Literally, denominations in history have been created and divided over these things. But Lord God, we know that you are the author of uh, uh, peace, not the author of confusion, and that you were able to bring every bit of truth on our heart. Lord, your Holy Spirit is our counselor, our comforter, our guider. And I pray as we go home tonight, we lay our head on our pillow, that we meditate upon these things. You would impress not just the reality of what happened in the fall, but the eternal reality of now, our true identity that rests in Jesus Christ. These things we ask in his precious name. And all God's people said, Amen and amen.